أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم In an eloquent sermon Sayyidina wa Mawlana Amir al-Mu'mineen the commander of the faithful Allahumma salli describes the Holy Quran in the following manner He says study the Quran for it is the spring of the hearts after winter after the cold weather you find that when the spring comes it rejuvenates the soul and the hearts of all human beings Amir al-Mu'mineen says consider the Quran as the spring within the heart that has died Rejuvenate and give life to yourself with the Holy Quran. And he says, And indeed, and indeed, it is the best of words and the best of statements. And use it as an enlightenment in every aspect of your life. And recite it and read it carefully. For it contains the best of stories. And then he says, whoever underestimates the knowledge of the Qur'an, whoever does not go to the Qur'an in terms of seeking knowledge, is as, he is as or similar to a person that is always in a state of hibernation. He's hibernating, he's sleeping. And once he goes towards the knowledge of the Qur'an, once he seeks the knowledge of the Qur'an, that that knowledge, the spirit of the Qur'an will rejuvenate him and will give him life. And that is why when we look at the Qur'an and when we examine the Qur'an, we come across ayat that should truly not be just read or glanced at. And of course, every ayah of the Qur'an deserves contemplation, deserves research. Because the fruits that we can take from the Qur'an are unlimited. And amongst the very beautiful verses that I have chosen to share with you this evening is that of chapter 7, verse 126, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the encounter between the magicians and Pharaoh while they had gone to challenge Nabiullah Musa So Musa after he approaches Pharaoh and he calls him towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Musa says look Pharaoh says look Musa you shall come to the center of the city on this specific day, in this specific location, and I will bring the magicians. You also come, 
meet one another, challenge one another, and let's see who's going to be the victorious. My magicians, those who work for me, or you and your God. And Musa accepted the challenge. All of Egypt gathered. The magicians, and their number was amazingly great. Some traditions say there were 700 masters with 2,000 allies. So about 2,700 magicians present. The people are present. Uh, Pharaoh is sitting there. And they say, Musa, would you like to begin or should we begin? So Musa says, no, you begin. They begin to do their magic. The best of magicians working for Pharaoh. Then Allah says, Musa, I give you permission to use your asa. So Musa uses the stick which turns into a huge scorpion. Pharaoh runs away. As soon as those people see the miracle of Musa, they say, we believe in the Lord of Musa. We believe in the Lord that has given Musa this miracle. Why? Because they were so good at what they do, that when they saw that stick of Musa turn into that great scorpion, they realized the following. They realized that this is out of the reach of human beings. This is the work of God. This is not something that human beings can create. So they submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason why I have chosen to speak of this ayah tonight, and the statements prior to the mention of this verse by Aniyah al-Mu'mineen are meant to tell us the following statement. What are they meant to tell us? That when we look at the Qur'an, let us look at the Qur'an in the same way that the magicians looked at the miracle of Musa. Why? Because indeed the Qur'an is a greater miracle than the stick of Musa given to the greatest of prophets. The greatest of miracle given to the greatest of prophets. But sometimes we read the Qur'an and it does not really affect us. It only will affect us is when we understand it, comprehend it, and examine it the same way that those magicians looked at the miracle of Musa, that this is out of the reach of human beings. A human being can never come forth with such a miracle. And of course, that takes dedication. That takes effort. That takes something that is more than just reading the Qur'an. That is why Amir al-Mu'mineen says, وَأَحْسِنُوا تِلَاوَةً Not just read it. Do the tilawah of the Qur'an, which is read it with understanding, وَأَحْسِنُوا تِلَاوَةً And make sure you read it in the best of ways. You recite it in the best of ways. And you take the knowledge of the Qur'an and you incorporate that knowledge of the Qur'an within your day-to-day -day lives. So that we're not in a constant stagnation. So that we're not asleep as a person. I am not asleep as a person. I'm not asleep as a family, as a community. So when they believed in the Lord of Musa, they said the following. 
chapter 7 verse 126 126 <laughs> Oh Allah shower unto us from patience and allow us to depart this life in a state of Islam we shall examine this ayah in the following manner. Number one, why is it that Allah mentions Fir'aun so many times in the Holy Quran? What's the significance of mentioning Fir'aun? Number two, when we examine this ayah, we examine a state of motivation where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala motivates the Muslim community and motivates the leadership of the Muslim community embedded in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. So we'll examine the importance of motivation or motivational words within the Holy Quran. Number three, how does this ayah speak of the Islamic stance when it comes to religious freedom of expression? And number four, we will examine one of the most powerful dua recited by the most powerful individuals within the Holy Quran. First of all, we have to understand that when Allah revealed this ayah, Fir'aun was already dead. And today, of course, Fir'aun remains dead. So what's the point of mentioning Fir'aun? Indeed, Fir'aun within the Holy Qur'an serves as a symbol. He's a symbolic figure within the Holy Qur'an, referred to so many times for the following reasons. Because Fir'aun resembles a leader with two qualities. Two qualities. Number one, he's a leader that resembles tyranny. He was a tyrant. When they believed in Musa and they said to Fir'aun, look, we have given up magic, now we believe in Musa, we believe in the Lord of Harun, and we will no longer worship you, what did he say to them? I will cut your right arms, left feet, and I will crucify every single one of you. This is a leader that's a tyrant. As soon as they expressed their belief, they were not thieves. They were not killers. They were not murderers. As soon as they expressed that we no longer believe in you, we believe in Allah. They said, you believe in Allah? I will cut your hands and your feet from the opposite direction and I will crucify you. Many people today, they ask, <coughs> what is the Islamic perspective about ISIS? The Islamic perspective about ISIS is in the Quran. Even though in the time of the revelation of this ayah, ISIS did not exist. But Islam spoke of it. Why? By bringing the mentioning of Fir'aun and condemning the act of Fir'aun. So whoever does the act of Fir'aun is similarly condemned by the Holy Quran. And what are they doing today? Amputating heads, arms, legs, terrorizing human beings. 
Allah condemns their act by condemning the act of Fir'aun within the Holy Quran. Fir'aun is used as a symbolic figure of a leader or an entity that represents tyranny. And many of the Muslim communities today, they have Fir'auns. The greatest Fir'aun of our time is the Saudi monarchy. Several days ago, you heard the statement, the sentencing of Sheikh Nimr al-Nimr to death. Why? Because he killed someone? Because he was a thief? Because he's a murderer? No. Because the only reason that they gave him the death sentence is because he wanted dignity for himself. Dignity for the people. He wants equality. He wants justice. He spoke. And the Fir'aun of his time says, no, you shall die. Not only that, they asked for his crucifixion. They asked for his crucifixion. Allah uses Fir'aun, and he says to every tyrant that one day you will be facing what Fir'aun faced. Because Fir'aun was indeed very powerful. It was so powerful that people worshipped him. He had the greatest army of the time. He had the greatest power of the time. And there was this young man by the name of Musa, who apparently also had a lisp when he spoke. With his brother Harun, they went and they demolished the entire throne of Fir'aun. So Allah is saying to every tyrant within the Quran that your day will come. Your days are numbered, and that is what Imam Abu Abdullah al-Hussein said to Yazid ibn Muawiyah, and to every tyrant of the time. To every tyrant throughout history. And that's what Imam Hussein leaves us, his followers, with this legacy. To stand in face of every tyrant, wherever they may be. وَقَدْ رَكَزَنِي بَيْنَ اثْنَتَيْنِ بَيْنَ السِّلَّةِ this is what Imam Hussein left us with. That human beings have been dignified. Human beings have been given dignity and honor and no one can take that away from them. And interestingly enough, this is exactly what Yazid did. Whoever stood in front of him and did not give him allegiance, what did Yazid do with them? He cut the right arm, left foot, stripped them naked, and threw them in the street. So that they become lessons for whoever is not willing to give bayrah. And Imam Hussein, this legend, the son of the legend who said, if all the Arabs gather, every single one of them gather to face me, I will not turn my back to them. I will face them. As long as I am on the side of truth, as long as I am seeking haq, as long as I am going against baqil. The second quality of Fir'aun is that he was an arrogant leader. Not only a tyrant, but with arrogance. ana I am your greatest Lord, worship me. He couldn't become more arrogant than that. He declares himself as a god. 
And Islam stands against arrogance in any form, especially arrogance in leadership. One day, Imam al-Sadiq was sitting next to Al-Mansur al-Abbasi and there was a fly that would come and sit on the nose of Al-Mansur al-Abbasi. And he would move it. So he looked at Imam al-Sadiq and said, Ya Rasulullah, why did Allah create flies? They're so useless. Why did he create flies? What did Imam al-Sadiq say to him? Allah created those flies so that He would teach you, the arrogant leader, a lesson. That you think you're so powerful. Protect yourself against the fly. You think you're in competition with Allah. He can teach you a lesson with a small fly. Allah creates this fly and Imam Hussain has a be the most beautiful dua like I said the other day but look at the most beautiful way he describes Allah he describes Allah in the following four ways most beautiful ways he says, Number one, he hears our dua. He hears our call. That's his first quality. That's the first way Imam Hussein chooses to describe Allah in dua. And he removes all evil, all depression, all sadness. And he is the one that elevates. They say angels laugh, angels, they laugh twice, two times. One, when Allah wants to take someone up, and the people want to bring him down. The angels laugh, they say, look at those guys. They're wasting their time. Allah is behind this man. Allah wants him to rise. Bani Umayyah, Bani Abbas, every tyrant, every ruler came to demolish Hussein, and until today, they stopped the Zawar of Hussein, terrorized the Zawar of Hussein, killed them. But what happens? First year 10 million, second year 12 million, third year 14 million. For every year the number of his visitors increase. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see Hussein rise. And two, they also laugh when people are trying to take someone up, fabricate hadiths for Muawiyah. They say that he was the, Rasulullah says, I am the gate, city of knowledge. Ali is the gate to the city. They say Muawiyah is the key to the city. Fabricating lies for so many years. For so 90, nearly 90 years, they curse Ali ibn Abi Talib and they raise Muawiyah. But Allah said, Muawiyah shall come down. Muawiyah will not last. Where is the grave of Muawiyah? And which dump is the grave of Muawiyah? And look at the grave. Ya sahib al-Qubbatil Bayla. That dome of Amir al-Mu'mineen sallallahu rises. The dome of his children rises. So the angels, they laugh twice. When they're trying to put someone up, and Allah is bringing him down, or vice versa. 
And he says that, Imam Hussein says that amongst the greatest qualities of Allah, he is the one that elevates, and he's the one that faces the tyrants, the arrogant leaders. And we saw this. Who would think one day Saddam would be taken out of a small home on the ground? Begging. Who would think that Muammar al-Qaddafi one day would beg for his life? Who would think that Husni Mubarak one day would have to go and face trial? Who would think that Mursi would not last a year? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is his job. And one day will come, you will see the Saudi monarch facing the same thing. Every Jabbar, every Laghia, every tyrant. And I want to say this. Best of criticism is when we stand, when we criticize ourselves. After the fall of Saddam, we realized that there was a change in the government, democratic election. People came and they voted for some people to come and be in charge of their affairs so that they can give ease to the impoverished, so that they can help the orphans, they can help the widows, they can secure the people, but unfortunately some of them carrying the name of Ali ibn Abi Talib, calling themselves the followers of Ahl Bayt, are arrogant. Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen removed many of his representatives because they were arrogant. He removed some of them because they had taken money that did not belong to them. We have a, a beautiful expression, we said, We voted for you so that you become our allies, so that you help us, you assist us. But you became a Fara'un, and not one Fara'un. Thousands of Fara'uns. Thinking of their bodyguards, their salaries, their cars, their lifestyle, their vacations, and the last thing they think about is those poor orphans, those poor widows. It's not just in Iraq, in Pakistan, in many of the Muslim countries in Afghanistan. You find that some people, as soon as they gain power and authority, they forget Allah and the Qur'an and Rasulullah. And Imam Hussein stood against Yazid. And he said this very firmly. He said, I do not embark on this journey for fame, for popularity. But I embark So I bring perfection to the Ummah of Rasulullah. So that I follow the footsteps of my grandfather and my father Amir al-Mu'mineen. He stood in the face of tyranny. And that is why when you read the Qur'an and you come across Fir'aun, well, the Fir'aun is something symbolic. The Fir'auns of our time, importing terrorism and death to the rest of the world, should think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ لَبِالْمُصَادِ
Allah may give you time. Allah may give you time, but He is never forgetful of tyrants. And they always end up becoming a lesson in history. Number two, is how does Allah use this ayah as a source of motivation for Rasulullah and the Muslim community? You see, Allah tells him, Ya, ya Rasulullah, just like I was behind Musa, just like I inspired Musa, just like I gave victory to Musa in front of Fir'aun, and Musa was only two people, him and his brother, and Fir'aun was the king of kings with 2,700 employees, I can also give you victory. So Allah was inspiring Muhammad. That the same way that one moment everyone left Fir'aun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the same thing. He motivated Rasulullah. And another surah he says to him, Alam. Ya Rasulullah, do you not know that when Allah wanted to defend the Kaaba, He sent those hummingbirds to an army of elephants and He destroys them? Allah is with you, Ya Rasulullah. So He inspired Him. Similarly, Allah inspires the Muslims that look at the people before you, the magicians of Fir'aun, how they stood firm when they had Iman, how they did not give up, how they were strong. Allah uses Ashab al-Kahf to inspire the Muslim community. Allah uses Maryam to inspire the women of the Muslim community. The Quran is a book of inspiration for believers. And so should be our Islamic centers, a place to motivate, not to put down people. Sometimes you go and you hear the speaker always putting down the people. You're not good enough. You have shortcomings. You're this, you're this, you're this. You go and you leave, you feel like, what a horrible person I am. But the Quran does not do that. The Qur'an uplifts us. The Qur'an inspires us so we become better. And the Qur'an also inspires our leadership and our communities should do the same thing. Our communities should benefit from scholars, should inspire scholars, should support the scholars, not leave them. Only when I need istikhara, I call the alif. I need two istikhara, please. So it is the istikhara for me. Or when somebody dies, we call the alam, we say somebody died in our community, please come and pray on the janazah. No. We must make sure that we use the source of inspiration that we have. We inspire and we receive inspiration. That is how we can have a powerful community. Number three, how does this verse allude to the opinion of Islam when it comes to religious expression. Yesterday, I told you that we have some verses which are explicit and some verses which imply implicit a meaning. So some carry an explicit 
message, and within that explicit message, there is something that is implied. And that is a way of understanding the Quran. So when the Quran speaks and says, minna," The only reason, oh you Fir'aun, that you hate us and you want to kill us and crucify us, is because in amanna is when we believed in the verses, the signs of Allah when we received them. So the only reason why you hate us is because we are believers, because we loved you. That's the only crime, religious expression, religious freedom. And Fir'aun had religious intolerance. This is the explicit <coughs> message of the ayah. But what is implied? What is implied is that Islam stands against religious intolerance. Islam stands with religious tolerance. Freedom of religious expression. That is implied in the verse. That is implied in the ayah. People would stand in front of Amir al-Mu'mineen. He was the Khalifa. And they would curse him. Some of his companions said, yeah, no, we have to take care of him. No. Why? What good, what, what wrong did he do? He doesn't like me, let him voice his opinion. That's it. In the battle of Safin, they stood all of them, cursing Ali and his companions. A couple of the companions, they did the same thing. Imam Ali said, no, 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 come back. And the Akrahan Takun of I will not allow you to use foul language. So this is Yahya look at the language they're using. They're so disrespectful. So what did he say? They're our brothers, but they're making a mistake. Look at the tolerance of this man. Look at the tolerance of Rasulullah that a Jewish woman every day dumps garbage on his head. Every day, every day, in and out. The day that he does not see her, he goes and visits her, she's sick. He says, I wanted to just see how you're doing, because I didn't find the trash today. <laughs> this is Rasulullah. This is a tolerance that Islam taught us. And Islam is accused that Islam is an intolerant religion. Islam is a religion that teaches whoever is not a Muslim, kill him. No, that's not in Islam. Where is it? That's in the Holy Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 12 to 19. Go read it tonight. You'll be shocked. Deuteronomy chapter 12, chapter 13, verse 12 to 19. What does it say? If you hear of someone who's calling for another God, or you hear of a village that entices people to worship other gods, then your hands should be the first to kill them, even if they are your best friends, even if they are your brethren, even if they are your kinship, meaning your dad and your mom. And if it's a village, then you burn down the whole village and its crops. But you know the reason is because they go and read the Qur'an, they find those things, and they have media, they say it against Islam. But we barely read the Qur'an, let alone the Bible. We don't have time to read the Qur'an. 
none of us would make time to read the Bible, mashallah. We live in a country, and the West, if you live in the West, the majority of your neighbor, your friend, your employee, your employer is Christian. Read their Bible, see what it says. So when they ask you a question, they say, why is Islam like this? You say to him, before you ask me why Islam is like this, you ask yourself why you have that in your book. This is not meant to create intolerance, but this is meant to show that the Quran is in constant the Quran is a constant target of abuse, while it is the leader of tolerance, while it teaches us, it teaches us tolerance. Final stage is when we examine this beautiful du'a that is mentioned four times in the Quran by four very powerful individuals. One, Ibrahim. Two, Ya'qub. Three, Yusuf. Four, the believers who believed, the magicians who believed, and Musa. What is it? The time that Ibrahim and Ya'qub speak of it, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa biha Ibrahim banih wa Ya'qub ya bunayya inna Allah astafa lakum ad-din fala tamutunna illa wa antum Yusuf alayhi salatu wa salam when he reaches his peak he says Rabbi qad ataytani min al-mulk wa'allamtani min ta'wil al-ahadith fatr al-samawati wal-ard anta waliyy who believed in Musa in front of Fir'aun said, Rabbana afrig alayna Shower unto us from your patience, what tawaffana muslimin, so that we can die as Muslims. Why did they say, oh Allah, shower unto us from patience? Why did they say, oh Allah, give us patience? What's the difference? It's because patience is something that needs to take over every body part of your existence every piece of your existence, every bit of your existence. You need patience in your mind. You need patience in your heart. You need patience in your eyes. You need patience in your tongue. You need patience in every bit of your existence. So when the shower comes, it covers you. Rabbana afrigh My eyes need patience when I look at things that I shouldn't be looking at. My tongue needs patience, especially when I'm worked up, I'm angry, I want to say something back. This needs patience. I said, no, there's no reason. There's no reason for me to say that. I can just cool off. I don't have to say such statements. I don't have to use such words. One day, Salman al-Farsi, maybe because he was Persian and he spoke another language, Umar ibn al-Khattab told him, what's the difference between your tongue and the tail of a dog? So Salman, who was much older than him, told him, if my tongue takes me to Allah, 
then it's definitely something great. If it takes me to the hellfire, then it is worse than the tail of the dog. You think it didn't require patience? It required patience. The man was able to control his tongue. That is why you receive the status of Salman and Minna. Our lust needs patience, especially with the youth. They say that Rasulullah had, <coughs> had a companion. This companion, he was single, young, and he was a thief. So a lady that had a very rich husband, her husband died. And he left her with a big house and a lot of money. This young man, he was planning, when is he going to go and rob her house? Because she had money, she was by herself. So as he was going and climbing on the wall to go and rob her, he also saw her and he saw she's so beautiful. She's so pretty, so he said, you know, this is the best house I'm probably ever going to visit. And as he was climbing and climbing, he heard someone recite the Qur'an. So he said, okay, I'm going to ignore the Qur'an. And he tried to climb up more. Then he said, wait, what if tomorrow Rasulullah who has a connection with Jibra'il calls me and says, Ta'an, I know who you were. I know you were the thief. I know you're the one that did this. And he had the rebuking soul, and nafs al-lawwamah, speak to him. And he also had a nafs al-ammara the shaitan within him to tell him, no, Rasulullah, how would he know, Jibra'il, no. Go steal this, that. So he said, you know what, let me for one day, just be patient. Tomorrow, if I realize that nothing happens, Tomorrow, I'll come and do it. So he got down and he said, as a sign of respect to Rasulullah, I'll just wait for one day. Not I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to wait for one day. The lady, she must have heard this man climb up the wall. So the next day Rasulullah was sitting, this young man was sitting from the corner, he's watching. So Rasulullah going to come up to me, what's going to happen, this, that. And Rasulullah, he began to speak. If you have lust, you should control it. If you don't have money, you should not be, you know, stealing from people. This and this. So this guy is saying, he knows. But he's just not telling me. And then something is telling him, no, 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 this is a general discussion. Don't worry. Until the woman comes in, she says, Ya Rasulullah. He said, Ya Allah. She saw me. Now she's going to say, what happened? Rasulullah is going to say, yes, it's this man. Bring him and, you know, it's... So she came, she said, Ya Rasulullah, you know my husband passed away. He said, yes. He said, you know he left me with a good amount of wealth. Yes. He said, yesterday, Ya Rasulullah, in the house, I heard someone climbing the wall. He said, <laughs> And I was very afraid, I was scared, but I did not see him. Ya Rasulullah, maybe you can help me find a husband who's going to take care of me, take care of my kids, that I can share this life with him. Rasulullah said, come here, man. <laughs> he came and said, Yes, Ya Rasulullah, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Wallah wasn't me. Rasulullah said, Would you like to marry this young man? So she said, Ya Rasulullah, if you pick him, of course I would marry him. So Rasulullah married them both. He went at night to the house of this woman. 
Instead of going to his wife, he was praying one after the other, praying, praying, crying. So he said, what happened? Are you not satisfied with me as a wife? He said, no, that's not the case. Well, why are you praying so much? You know, this is a joyful occasion. He said, because you don't know the mercy of Allah. Because you're not aware of who I am. Because you don't know how Allah repaid my patience. He said, what happened? He said to her, do you know the guy that was on your wall yesterday? Yeah, that was me. But I stopped for one minute. I said, let me bear patience for the honor of Rasulullah for one day. And look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repaid me. It needs patience. So Allah says, رَبَّنَا أَفْرِغْ عَلَيْنَا Shower unto us, all of us, all of our existence with sabr and patience. Sometimes some people are patient when it comes to hunger, but other things they're not patient. They're patient when it comes to, for example, difficulties of poverty, but not some... Allah says, no, 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 you need patience in every aspect of your life. Then He says, وَتَوَفَّنَا Make sure that when we're in a state of departure, we depart as Muslims. Muslims who are submitted to Allah. Who do not question Allah. Who not in the last minute they come up and they say, no, 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 no. Because they knew that Pharaoh was going to crucify them. He was going to kill them. So they said, oh Allah, keep us firm until the last moment. Even Pharaoh's wife, امرأة فرعون إذ قالت ربي ربي نجني من فرعون وعمله ربي ابني لي عندك بيتا في الجنة ونجني من فرعون وعمله ونجني من القوم الظالمين. she said she knew the challenge that she faced the torture that فرعون gave her his wife when she did not believe in him but she stayed firm. The same thing with Imam Abu Abdullah Hussein. Not just him, him and the youngsters in his camp. Al Qasim Abdul Aziz. He says, "Munayya kifa tara al-mautu dunak." It says, "Fi nusratika ya am ahlamat." Ali al Akbar. What does he say? La rubal al-maut in waqana alayhum am waqa alayna. We are not afraid of death. If it comes to us, or we go towards it. As long as we are on the side of truth. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.